postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. 
Hello, 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 mighty parent or parent-to-be. Welcome to Birthful. I'm still Adriana Lozada, and today's birth stories, which are part of our Care Provider series, come courtesy of Margot Strahol. And Margot is going to share her three evolving birth stories and how each transformation led her toward a deeper understanding of herself and her instincts. Now, I also want to let you know that Margot's baby had lots to share in this episode. So yes, there's going to be cute baby sounds and hand-sucking sounds throughout the show. And why wouldn't there be? Margot has a newborn. I think that if there is a show where it is okay to have babies commenting on their stories, it's got to be this one. And honestly, I am here for it. I mean, I could get on a soapbox about how our societal and institutional tendencies to exclude children from quote-unquote professional or communal spaces are yet another way that we ostracize primary caregivers and how we need to stop that. Like, wouldn't it be nice if when there was a tired child crying on a plane or a store, that that family would receive the help of many hands instead of the shaming looks? Yeah. So, yes, Margot and her baby boy will be sharing her stories, which start with a hospital induction with an OB, followed by another induction managed by midwives at a hospital, and finally, the undisturbed physiological birth she had been hoping for, despite all the fear-mongering about the size of her babies. You're listening to Birthful? Here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Marco. I'm so excited to have you here today to hear your stories. Great. I'm so happy to be here, too. So let's get right to it because you have three stories. So let's take time and rewind it back to, you know, when you were pregnant with your first. What were your thoughts about birth and hopes and wishes for that first birth? So, you know, I had just finished graduate school. I had finished my master's in social work and I had spent that last year doing an internship at our local health sciences university medical school, um, working in the center for women's health, actually working with pregnant women around perinatal mood disorders. And, um, of course, you know, in Portland, where I'm from, uh, the current kind of ideas around birth are all very much towards natural physiological birth. So I was like, I'm going to have a natural physiological birth. Um, That summer after I graduated, we went to Europe and we like to say that we brought home the best European souvenir that there was, which was our pregnancy, our son. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I was pretty shocked to find out that I was pregnant right away and called just my general practitioner and was like, okay, what do I do now? And she said, well, here's this OB practice that we refer people to. So I was referred to an OB for medical care and just didn't really question it, but I was pretty nervous and anxious and I'm kind of a rule follower. So I just went with it. Um, My OB was lovely. And even though I was pretty nervous and anxious, you know, she didn't really feed into that at all, but she also didn't really do much to like soothe my anxieties. (laughs) Um, And like I said, I was like, okay, I'm a rule follower. So like we have to take all these classes. And so at the hospital where we were planning to birth, uh, we took childbirth class, we took breastfeeding class, we took a newborn infant care class. And in addition to that, I was also a yoga instructor already. And There was a course in Portland called the Yoga Way to Birth. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like that looks like something I would 
need. And so my husband and I also took the yoga way to birth class, which was a really uh, lovely compliment to all of the other stuff I was doing because it was a much more experiential based childbirth preparation class. Um, I remember being in that class and one of the activities that the instructor had us do was she gave us an envelope with all of these different words in terms of what birth could hold, you know, so it was like lulling contraction, ring of fire, like five centimeters dilated, 80% of face. And we had to put them in order in the order that we thought they would come in birth. And I was really waiting for the instructor to come around and be like, A plus, Margo, you got this all right. They're all in the right order. But that was not the point of the exercise. <laughs> it's not a test. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really to understand that birth is not going to be a linear experience. And uh, I think that preparation really helped lay a great framework for the birth and actually led me to feel quite satisfied with our, our birth experience the first time around. Um, so that birth, you know, at 40 weeks, I had like a membrane sweep and I wasn't very dilated. And like the next day, I was out with my mom for brunch and we walked into a shop and I like squatted down and I felt like a little, a small a little pop and a, like a little trickle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, mm, that seems different. And like, there was something different in my underwear. <laughs> so we ended up calling uh, the advice line and they said, well, you know, it could be a small leak. So why don't you go ahead and come in and we'll do a furnine test and see if that is amniotic fluid. They did the ferning test. They said it was, in fact, amniotic fluid. And they said, you know, you can, you can stay or we could send you home. And they were planning to induce me at 41 weeks anyways. And so we were like, well, we're going to do it anyways in a few days. So why not just do it now? So they started with a cervical ripener. Cervidil is what they used in the hospital. Bless the little one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was like around midnight or so. Um, by the time that finally happened. And pretty shortly after they inserted the cervidil, I started feeling contractions and um, it made me really nauseous. And also never forget, you know, when we first were kind of checking in and making our plan, like, are we going to induce or we not? Uh, one of the OBs from our practice came in and I had never met him before, but all I remember is he had a mustache and cowboy boots. And he was like, tell me, what's your plan for pain management? And I was like, well, you know, I'm intending to have a natural physiological birth. And he goes, I wouldn't recommend that. All right. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for your opinion. Are you the one birthing this? No, sorry. I'll stop my snake. <laughs> no, that's, that's <laughs> certainly how I felt. Um, and we had a doula. We had a really lovely doula that we were working with too. And we, we did the sort of cervical ripener overnight. And I got to about three centimeters with that. And then they're like, okay, next step is Pitocin. And I was like, okay, no, I didn't really want to do that. I was pretty nervous, but they were like, we'll do really gradual increase on the Pitocin. We'll take our time. I was like, all right, great. So this Pitocin and as contractions were starting to intensify my inclination, like curl up in the fetal position on the bed mm. <laughs> and just like cry. But my doula was like, well, you know, do that for a while, rest as you need to, but maybe let's try and get on the ball and let's move around and, you know, sway your hips and as a yoga instructor, everyone was like, oh, you're a yoga teacher. Your birth is going to be so easy, um, which was a little bit to my disadvantage. Right. No pressure. No pressure. And I had sort of like likened it in my head to running a marathon. I'd run a marathon 
uh, like three years prior. And I was like, okay, this dilation is like the mile markers on the path to <laughs> wasn't really fully comprehending. Anyways, <laughs> the birth year is not always that linear. Mm. So went ahead and was moving around. I got in the tub and I felt amazing, but my labor like stopped essentially. So we had to get out of the tub and they're like, oh, okay, we're going to increase lipitocin. And they did decide to break my water. And it was like a huge gush, you know. And that was when my husband said, you know, we entered the ninth circle of hell. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I really think baby just like came down hard on my cervix. And it was so intense so mm. quickly. Ended up trying some fentanyl a couple times. It didn't really do much. And then we went back to the tub. And I was like, okay, I, I'm exhausted. We were like close to 20 hours into the labor process, but I've been awake for over 36 hours. And I was in the tub and I was like, I feel like people aren't listening when I say I want the epidural. I really want the epidural. Right, right. You got <laughs> um, to that point. Like, and I want to I wanna interrupt you for a second that you say they broke your water, even though your water had already broken. And I think that's a really good, great point to make that, you know, it's a big sack. So it can like break in one part with a little trickle but then, yes. and then you get like this bulging little ball that can come ahead of the baby's head out of the cervix but into your vagina. So if that's a big bulging bag of water breaking that can, you know, have this super gush that then the head stops like a cork when it comes yeah. down onto yep. the cervix. <laughs> yeah. So I tried to paint that picture. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, yes. Thank you for helping to paint that because that's what it felt like for sure. And you know, the 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 nurse in this hospital experience, the nurse was very involved. She was um, doing cervical checks. She was like much more hands on than in my other birth experiences that was like the nurse that was on call to our room was like there all the time. The OB really just kind of came and go, went. So I got the epidural. So you were heard. Yeah. And it was amazing. And I took a nap. My husband took a nap. We all rested. And then my after we rested, my doula was like, well, can you move around a little bit? So I was able to move around on the bed some. I was able to get up like on all fours and uh, move the back of the hospital bed up so I could kind of like drape myself over the back of the hospital bed and be in a more upright position. And I had made it all the way to like seven centimeters right before I got the epidural. So I was, I was close to transition and, you know, I felt really proud. Like I felt like I gave it my all, you know, yeah. and then rested and moved around. And then I was at 10 centimeters and it was time to push. And my husband got super brave and was like, I want help catch the baby. <laughs> and the OB was not the regular OB that I had been seeing, but just an OB that was on call that night. He said, well, you know, I've never helped a dad catch a baby, but I've helped lots and lots of medical students catch babies. I don't know why I couldn't help you catch the baby. Awesome. And so my husband got gowned up. Yeah. <laughs> my husband got gowned up and he was there as he was crowning. It was like an hour of pushing and didn't have a super hard time connecting. I could feel like the pressure of baby coming down, but it wasn't painful in any sort of way. And my husband's hands were like on baby and then the baby's hands were around my husband's hands and then he lifted him up my husband uh, was supposed to announce what the sex was but he was too busy focusing on not dropping a slippery baby all right and so I was like it's a little boy 
<laughs> and I set them on my chest and I did have some, I had like second degree tears and a little bit of postpartum extra bleeding. So they, they felt like they needed to cut the cord quickly. Um, so I didn't get to do the delayed cord clamping, which was okay. And like I said, I just was like, oh my God, I did it. And there was sort of that at the end of pregnancy, especially with my first, I was like, Pregnancy will never end. I'm like pretty sure that I'm just going to be pregnant the rest of my life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and <laughs> there was this shock of like, holy cow, there was a baby in me. And look at that. Here he is. It was a pretty magical, wonderful moment when he was, was born. Very cool. I should also quickly mention, you know, when he was born, I was like, this, this baby looks bigger than normal infants. <laughs> And he was, he was nine pounds, uh, nine ounces. And that was a surprise. We had no idea that I was going to have a large baby. No one had said anything about it to me. No one had said I was measuring large or anything. So that was a bit of a, a shock. A lot of friends had had also had infants around the same time. And I'd been around a lot of infants. And I was like, wow, this is a different size baby. Right. But it didn't much matter. Yeah. I mean, you pushed for an hour, baby was no. born, all good. Yep. Totally good. Yeah. And I think if someone would have said something like, oh, you're measuring big or do you have any history of big babies? And both my husband and I were totally normal sized babies. Anyways. So yeah, postpartum was great. And I was, I was excited to have another baby because it was such a positive experience. And I felt pretty incredible afterwards. Had some of the, just the normal, like emotional ups and downs and uh, all of the shock and transformation that comes from becoming a parent and understanding your new role with your partner and that sort of transition. But it was all pretty positive. So I was looking forward to having a second. So I got pregnant about the time that my first was about 18 months old. And I was with a different insurance company. And so it was a, an HMO model and it was uh, midwifery care in a hospital. And I was excited to have a midwife, you know, I'd done maybe a little more research and was like, oh, I, I like this kind of midwifery model. I'm a social worker. I like how, how midwives are more holistic in a lot of ways, sort of like social workers. So I was, I was happy to be with midwives and the midwife I was working with. Hello, you're talking so much. <laughs> He's telling us the story too. Yours is coming. <laughs> yeah. So the midwife that I was working with was so lovely and so supportive of natural physiological birth and wanting to support me in that. But I will say, because I had had a big baby before, there was this like thing looming on my, I noticed it on my after visit summaries, after my visits, on my problem list was history of macrosomal infants, mm. which means history of having a big baby. So because of that, they were concerned about gestational diabetes. Um, so they made me do a gestational diabetes screen, the glucose screen, the one hour glucose screen in my first trimester. And I actually just listened to your gestational diabetes episode. And I was like, ah, I could have done the A1C. Right. <laughs> Would have been so much better um, in that first trimester. So I did the, the screen. I passed it. And then I was also during this pregnancy was doing my prenatal yoga teacher training, uh, which was a really lovely compliment to pregnancy. I was learning about all sorts of wonderful things like optimal fetal positioning and how mom's position impacts baby and pelvic floor health and the spinning babies website 
and pain and coping strategies. I would say the only downside was is that my husband wasn't a part of that necessarily. Um, and so I was sharing some of this information with him, but he wasn't getting a ton of it. Um, we had our same doula, which was awesome. You know, my husband had been a little skeptical too of like, oh, what's a doula going to do really? And I should mention my mother-in-law was also at my first birth. She had several home births herself and has been to many births. And he's like, oh, we can just use my mom. She'll be there. But after we had our first birth, he was like, oh my gosh, doula was like the best money we spent in our first pregnancy. So we were both on board for that for the second one. Um, Despite all the information I was kind of gaining from my, my yoga teacher training, I had had a small diastasis recti with my first birth. And the second one, it just got really significantly worse. And I wasn't feeling like I, I had a lot of information or knew what to do to prevent it. And so by the end of pregnancy, I was measuring really big, like three weeks ahead in terms of fundal height. And I took the glucose screen again in the third trimester and I passed it. It was fine. But I had what sometimes is called the pendulous uterus. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that term? Tell us more about it. So this idea is sort of that there is like an optimal angle that your belly could be at during pregnancy. And that really helps baby to be in a good position and also prevents unnecessary stretching on that linea alba, the kind of the frontal muscles that connect your abdominis rectus together. So my belly stuck really far out. And so, you know, starting at like 30 weeks, people were like, any day now? Like, Mm. (laughs) I got tons of really annoying comments from people about like how large I was in that pregnancy. I gained about the same amount of weight, but the angle of my belly, I think was really impacting that. And then I also, as a result, had a lot of pubic symphysis dysfunction. So like in the front of my pelvis, feeling really tender, like couldn't put my pants on without sitting down because I couldn't stand on one leg (laughs) without feeling pain. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So, for example, I take advantage of Acorn's Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Did you do anything to address the pubic symphysis and the diastasis? Did you do any reps or any body work? You know, I was doing acupuncture and I did mine abdominal massage, which I definitely think helped a lot, but wasn't, it wasn't quite enough. And I, I just wasn't feeling like I had the right tools or support. And no one told me I had a pendulous uterus at the time, looking back at pictures and doing more research and um, kind of getting further along in my prenatal yoga teacher training. And I was like, oh, that's what was going on. And that's why I felt uncomfortable. So it was sort of hindsight was 2020. I wish I would have been like, get me to your women's health PT. Like, mm. um, I think there's stuff I could be doing prenatally. So my second baby, you know, he just, he didn't want to come out. <laughs> so <laughs> at 41 weeks and I was so uncomfortable at 41 weeks. Um, I was scheduled for an induction. They probably would have let me go longer if I wanted to, but I had like, I had tried everything to like get labor going on my own. I'd done acupuncture, I'd drank in the castor oil, we'd done the membrane sweep, I ate the spicy food, like <laughs> I was I was pulling out all the tricks. Sit on your head, yeah. Yep, yeah. yep, literally. Right. Yep. I was trying all the tricks and it just wasn't quite uh working. So we did a, a scheduled induction at 41 weeks exactly, which happened to be Labor Day. Um <laughs> which How my husband had teased, right? was yeah. teasing me. I know, so appropriate. Fortunately, I was a little more naturally dilated on my own. So I was like at two or three centimeters just going in for the induction as cervixes are just a little more open the second time around. And we started with Pitocin for the induction. And, you know, I felt really, really great. And they kept cranking up the Pitocin and I was just, I wasn't feeling a lot. I was feeling awesome. We were like doing lunges up and down the hall. We were doing all the hip circles. We were doing everything. And I was like, ah, you know, we were watching a movie. <laughs> Didn't really seem like I was in labor. And I was like, you know, I feel like baby just isn't low enough. You know, I don't feel like he's like in my pelvic bowl at all. So I feel like that's part of the reason that labor isn't really going or starting. So I had been reading on spinning babies about all these things. And one of them was the abdominal lift and tuck. I love that one. From spinning babies. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's a great one. And I will say, you know, we had tried some other things. The midwife we were working with was super collaborative and very also no nonsense. And she had broken my water. And that was what really like pushed me over the edge of my last labor. And she's like, well, let's, you know, I know a way to do it like a slow release water break. And so that's what she did. It was awesome. And it did not kind of push me over the edge in any sort of way. And so she was able to break the water and then let a little bit out and then kind of hold it close. I don't know how she did it. They do a teeny <laughs> um, tiny. And then let a little bit. Yeah. Instead of like doing a big tear, they do a teeny tiny puncture so that it kind of trickles out on its own. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And so we went for the abdominal lift and tuck. And so over the course of 10 contractions, my husband came behind me and he would kind of scoop the bottom of my belly up and I would take a little pelvic tilt. So tucking my tailbone under and he would kind of pull my belly in. So as if, as if like pulling baby up and down into my pelvic floor, we we're kind of walking in between contractions and then do that abdominal lift and tuck. And about halfway around was the midwife's workstation. And she was like, I'm going to go get the tub ready, you know, because, you know, you said you wanted to labor in a tub. And I was like, yeah, but I don't think I'm that far along yet. I don't want it, my labor to stall out again. She's like, I'm going to go get the tub ready. <laughs> and sure knew. enough, by the time ah. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> yes. Did you continue doing lift and tucks? Yep. Yep. And by the time we got back to my room, I was like, no longer chatty. Things were 100% in motion. And um, I had gone from like five to seven, eight centimeters dilated relatively quickly with that move. Got in the tub and it felt pretty good. You know, it was super challenging mentally. I went into labor land, you know, like tunnel vision, couldn't really see much else. The midwife was really wonderful and she was there with me and pressing on my hips and my low back and doing these deep guttural moans with me. She was really working alongside I got to about nine and a half centimeters and she said, I, I want you to kind of get out of the tub. I think baby's going to come right now. And I just had this sense that baby wasn't quite low enough yet. Mm. So I got out of the tub. They were trying to get the fetal monitors on and they just couldn't get them in the right place. And there was an OB who was supervising. And, you know, I have no recollection of who this OB was or what he looked like, but I could feel his presence like at the doorway. And then there was this kind of conflict and tension between the OB and the midwife and potential shoulder dystocia was kind of the the word uh, that was going mm. around. And so this midwife said, you know, you have a small anterior lip of your cervix. I think I can move it out of the way if you give some pushes. So I started pushing and really was trying to get baby to come down and it just, it wasn't working. And I got super exhausted and I kind of felt defeated. And <laughs> it was, it was pretty, I was like, it had gone from zero to 60 really fast. And I was given my all. And so I was like, please just like, give me the epidural. Like, I don't, I can't do this anymore. I can't push anymore. And I wasn't having a strong urge to push either. Like it was more directed pushing. And normally they probably wouldn't give an epidural to a woman that was that far along, but they were also concerned that I might need an emergency section. I think. And so they went ahead and let me get the epidural. I rested for maybe half an hour and fully dilated. And then I pushed that baby out in like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So he came right out. He had kind of a low Apgar 
and was like a little slower to wake up um, in some ways, but he was totally fine and okay. There were there were no issues. There was no shoulder dystocia. He slipped right out, and you know he was there, and it was wonderful. And I was I was so happy to have this baby again. I think my biggest shock was that he didn't look exactly like my other baby. But as time went on, I kind of like had these lingering feelings of like sadness or grief about the birth experience and how it had happened. I went and saw a women's health PT and did a bunch of work for my diastasis recti and pelvic floor, which was helpful. And then about two years later, I went to a naturopath who was trained in holistic pelvic floor treatment, which is a women's health PT trained her to do this work. Um, Tammy Lynn Kent, who is the, the trainer and the designer of this holistic pelvic floor work. And I had this work done and it was more spiritual in some ways. And there was a point where she was doing some internal manipulations and I started crying and I realized that I had been holding all of this tension in my body of how I had failed at birth. And so I, I just cried and I, I felt so much better and I, I have like very little reactivity around that birth anymore. You know, I, I had felt so sad and so defeated and I couldn't really put words to it because I felt like it was being held in my body. And that's what we know about how trauma is, is processed. It's held in your body, like literally. And so having that process and going through that healing really allowed me to kind of just process it's like, no, you didn't fail. Like birth just happens the way it's, it happens. And you did the best you could under the circumstances that were there. Right. So, Yeah. And I'm glad you got that release. And it speaks to how important it is to connect with your body and, and do some body work as well. An introspection into what you're carrying. Because we are holistic beings, right? Mind, body, the whole bit. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So one question, how big was this baby? <laughs> oh, yes. The, the final measurement. So he was 10 pounds, 6 ounces. So he was a big baby. So a little bigger. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit bigger. But, you know, still came out vaginally and was okay. And, you know, I had second degree tears again that time. Uh, nothing that seemed to like cause me any issues or problems. So, Yeah. So, so that was birth number two. Mm-hmm. And then when my youngest son at the time was two years, I had this treatment. And then my husband and I decided that, you know, we are officially crazy and we're going for number three. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had the same insurance. So I was going back to the same midwives and I was excited to see my midwife again. Again, she had been so lovely, so supportive. And I felt really kind of nurtured by her, which is what I wanted from a provider. And, you know, they had the history of macrosomal infants still, and it was even bigger the second time. So they're like, don't have an 11 pound baby now. And there were lots of comments like that in my pregnancy, like, oh gosh, you're going to have an even bigger baby. Watch out. How did that make you feel? Terrible. No kidding. <laughs> Made me feel terrible. Yes. Yeah. It was not helpful at all. Um, I was going to my appointments there and was feeling like a little sad because I, I felt like I wanted something a little bit different for this birth, but financially it was like a good decision to stay with this HMO and um, it was really affordable. But I, I kind of had this like nagging feeling of like, I feel like I'm constantly like on guard and having to de- defend myself. I work in a, a public health clinic, so I have access to what's called up to date, which is a like research website 
that doctors use to like check current best practices. So I was like using this website to like look up all these things about shoulder dystocia and like <laughs> do all this research myself about what are my risk factors for having shoulder dystocia and is that even really a concern and how valid is this and writing down all these statistics and just really feeling like I was kind of on the defensive uh, this time around, which did not feel great mm. <laughs> either. And then around 26 weeks, I had to see a, a like a stand-in midwife versus someone that I had the gal I'd been seeing before. And it, the visit just kind of like left this sad taste in my mouth. It was their standard practice is to give every woman the DTAP in their third trimester to help reduce the risk of pertussis in the infant. And I had just had the shot in my previous pregnancy about three years ago. And I know the vaccine's good for 10 years. And she she kind of was like, well, it's not for you. It's for the baby. And I was like, I know that. And I just it felt kind of shamey and manipulative. Mm. And I was like, you know, I, I, I think I need something different. And so there were two insurance companies that, that we could choose from at my employer. Um, and so we were able to switch insurance companies. And at the beginning of my third trimester, I transferred to a freestanding birth center. And it was amazing. Like the change was exactly what I needed to do. And like I said, this, this whole journey of my third pregnancy was really this trip of like, I know my body, I can trust my body and birth. It was healing process from my previous birth where I had been told I couldn't trust my body and that I had failed in some sort of way. And like little things were kind of giving me these nudges. Like I remember around like 16, 17 weeks, like I was starting to feel baby move, but it felt so different. And I was like, I think my placenta is anterior because I think it's kind of muffling the, the movement and it just feels different than my other pregnancies. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll see at the 20-week ultrasound, like, where the placenta is. And sure enough, placenta was anterior. Like, I was just learning to, like, listen to my body and listen to these cues and listen to my baby a little bit more, which was was so lovely. Mm. Um, in in terms of, of childbirth prep that we did, my husband and I did together, we decided to take a hypnobirthing class together. So my husband and I did a six-week childbirth education, which was so funny because there was literally like maybe 15 other couples in the class and everyone else was like having their first baby. And they're like, we're here with our third. And they're like, don't you know what you're doing by now? No. Nope. <laughs> like, <laughs> you it no. <laughs> um, and so again, switching providers at the beginning of the third trimester was amazing. The appointments were an hour long, um, <laughs> which felt incredible to just have that kind of attention. They really practice informed consent, which I believe so strongly about uh, working in the healthcare field to do, like making sure that people are educated and understand their choices and options. Like I said, they're a freestanding birth center. So the birth center is actually in this beautiful old Victorian house that they've remodeled into a birth center. And each room is like a bed and breakfast room. They do water birth, which I had really wanted to have a water birth. I encourage people who are listening to go to the show notes um, at birthful.com because they can see the pictures of the of that bed and the, and how homey yes. like it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is amazing. And you know, part of my my preparation was doing something that uh, is part of yoga, which is this kind of like self inquiry, self discovery, and it's something that we encourage like participants of the yoga way of birth to do as well. So I was really kind of like constantly using meditation and yoga as a way to just kind of like 
tune in into like what's coming up now. There is no other time I feel like where your intuition is louder and clearer than during pregnancy and birth. <laughs> like it just it it can be so obvious if you take the time to really listen to those cues. Yeah, that your body's definitely in tuned to that, like, you know, hormonally and just deeper brain waves and it, it, your body switches during pregnancy to give you more intuition. It's not just the feeling. It is an actually like documented thing <laughs> that your brain thinks different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So did this baby show up on his own? How did the labor start? Yeah. So, um, Another thing I was I was really grateful about this birth center is that they they really make sure people know all the possibilities for how birth could look. And so they talk about all the reasons that you would have to transfer to a hospital, and they have a they have a very low transfer rate, but they feel that it is necessary to cover those things with the patients that they work with because those things can happen. So. I was sort of at the end of birth was really like holding all those possibilities. Like I was like, you know, I could go to 42 weeks and have to have a cesarean. Like, <laughs> but I will have been listening to my body the whole time. 40 weeks rolled around and I taught my very last prenatal class at the studio I was teaching at. And I went to work that week and, but I was having this like strong, strong feeling of like, I just want to like hibernate. Like I don't want to see anyone else. I don't want anyone asking me about when the baby's coming. I don't want to have to defend myself anymore. I don't want to have to talk through this with anyone else. I am just need to be like quiet and listening to what's happening with my body right now. And so that's kind of what I tried to do. You know, I, I went to work and then at 40 weeks and three days was I was at work and I was only scheduled to work a half day. And my clinic manager was like, yeah, I think you should just be done, Margo. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't need to come back to work anymore. And I was like, okay, I'm good with that. Like, I'll be done working now. And I went to a midwife appointment. And in addition to feeling like I needed to hibernate, I also felt like I really, like I had a lump in my throat, like I was about to cry, but I couldn't cry. And so I went to my midwife appointment, hoping that maybe I would have a good cry. And um, I got there and sure enough, just being in that safe space with those women, um, I was able to just like unleash and cry. And what was coming up was like, how am I going to love three babies all by myself? <laughs> you know, like, mm. I mean, with me and my husband, like, will I be able to give this baby the love they deserve? And my midwife, what she said to me, it might make me tear up right now as I say it, but she said, you know, Margo, of course your heart is breaking. It has to break open to allow this new love to come through. And I just started sobbing. I was like, you're exactly right. <laughs> That's 100% what is happening. Yeah. And then she did a membrane sweep for my request. And she was like, you're like at three centimeters. And when she did the membrane sweep, she was like, ooh, that was a really good one. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I felt like I really broke up some adhesions. And like, yeah, that was a good membrane sweep. And I was like, awesome. So I went home, went to bed that night. And I'd been having to wake up probably like two or three times a night to get up and pee every night. And I was getting up to go to the bathroom, but I was feeling more like I was like needed to have a bowel movement. I was like feeling kind of funny. And I was like, oh, this feels just a little different. <laughs> and so I was like, mm, but I wasn't really, I kept waiting for like the rhythm. You know, I was like waiting for that rhythm of birth to kind of kick up and trying to like tune into the rhythm of birth. Like it'll have a momentum to it. It'll have a like a, a wave-like sensation to it. 
five in the morning, I was like, well, there might be some risk. So let me like get the, the app out and I'll just time it and see what's going on. And sure enough, I was having like regular contractions. And because I'd never had labor on my own without an induction, it was kind of like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm not sure how this is going to be. So I was like seven to 10 minutes apart, one minute long. Awesome. This is early labor. Good. I didn't wake my husband up. And then like around six, I was like, okay, I think I'm having some contractions, honey. And I texted my mom and both my kids were scheduled to go to school that day. So I was like, I think we can get them off to school. I'll just text my mom and be like, maybe be on call to pick them up. So we called the midwives and they said, great, you know, just keep us posted. Sounds like everything's going well. And I just kind of like hung out in my bedroom and then labor started to move more quickly. And my husband was kind of like madly packing our bags and the kids bags because of course we were like not super prepared (laughs) and so we uh called my mom and we're like I think you might want to come and pick up the kids because things are are picking up more rapidly so about 7 30 a.m she came over and got the boys and got them off to school and my husband came back up and was like I I think it's time for us to go to the birth center like I think we need to go so he came up and he helped me kind of get out of bed and get myself downstairs and meanwhile I was like pausing like top of the stairs have a contraction down at the bottom of the stairs have a contraction so labor was really picking up and had a pretty good rhythm to it I had really tried to focus on the spaces between the contractions and remembering that nothing is happening in those spaces between the contractions and so I kept focusing on that. We we got in the car about 8 a.m. Um, and of course, it was rush hour. <laughs> so we had to get to the birth center through rush hour. So we, we pulled up to the birth center about 8.30 or so. And on my last contraction in the car, I was like, oh, my God, I think I'm pushing. <laughs> oh. And I was like, I, I think I might have just pooped my pants is what I said to my husband. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I might have a car baby. <laughs> Just kind of went through my head. <laughs> Just in time, right there. Yeah. So um, the midwife from the birth center came out and met us at our car. And I had a contraction like right there on the street, like holding onto the side of the car. And she was like, oh, it sounds like you're pushing. And I was like, yeah, I think I am. Um, and I had literally just listened to your episode with Wapio about uh, second stage of labor and non-directed pushing and just letting your body do it for you and it really like there was nothing I could do to stop it like my body was doing this work for me and I just had to move out of the way so we made it inside to the birth center and we walked into uh, the room where our baby was born and there were candles lit and the tub was filling with water and the shades were closed so it was nice and dim and I was like oh like that immediately just put me at ease, 100%. Uh, first place I went was like to sit on the toilet because that's where I felt like I needed to be. And I sat on the toilet through a few contractions and I checked baby's heart tones and everything sounded great. Then after that, I got into the tub. Um, and I was in the tub, gosh, a little after 8.30 probably. And that's where I was for the rest of birth. And really it was like just this quiet, sacred space the midwives were there they were pretty hands-off you know like they didn't really touch me I didn't really need them to touch me I was just doing my thing 
And one of the phrases that was kind of rolling through my head is like, uh, in this book, Labor, Love, and Liberation. And she says, birth is not a bully. And I was like, birth is not a bully. Birth is my friend. Birth is here to work me, you know? And so I was just kind of welcoming all the sensations. And I, I can't, looking back, I can't say that it was painful. It was like so intense and so commanding. But there was also these huge spaces between my contractions, or at least it felt huge, where I could really rest and like catch my breath and take a break and let go and release my muscles and find some ease in between the the intensity of the surges. Yeah, that's such a great point in how, you know, birth time warps and you can, those minutes mm-hmm. can stretch out so you can feel if you go deep into what you were saying. I love it. That space in between and just really focus on relaxing and taking that rest that it's being given to you. Yes, 100%. Um, so I was like seeing that as a gift every time, every time it came. And, you know, I was sort of scanning, you know, like, is there anything emotionally or mentally getting in the way of me allowing this baby to pass through? And there was a point where, you know, I had been pushing for probably almost close to an hour. And I was like, I just, I feel like baby's not coming down. And it was the exact same fear and feeling that I had had in my second labor, like baby's not low enough, baby's not coming, like these pushes are not being productive. And I remember looking over at my midwife and saying, baby's not coming, he's not coming. And she said, well, well, why don't you, I think he's coming. She said, why don't you feel, why don't you see if you can feel him? And so I reached inside and sure enough, like I could feel like it was not, <laughs> there was a little head there, you know, like he wasn't down on my perineum, but he was, I could feel something different. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is him. He's coming down. Like he is moving down the way that he needs to. He knows what he's doing. And that is another thing that we kind of talk about in the yoga way to birth is that like babies are so wise in their birth process in terms of how they are able to work with birth. And they don't need us. They don't need to go to a birth class to learn that. Like they, they just know how to do that on their own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So trusting that my baby was doing what he needed to do too. So my pushing phase was the longest of any of my pushing phases. It was about an hour and a half. And then around right before 10 o'clock, oh, and the only thing I remember hearing from my midwives was two things. One, that the bag of water had not broken, that they were like, he's still, he's, the membranes haven't ruptured, the membranes haven't ruptured. So I remember them whispering about that, that they were like, is this baby going to be born in call? <laughs> and I was kind of excited too. Maybe I'll have a baby born in call. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Yeah. And then the other thing I heard them talking about is uh, I also had a student midwife with me there who had been there for all of my prenatal appointments and had kind of followed my pregnancy. And they were pointing out to her that I had the purple line on my backside. Do you know about that too? I do. So it's, it's the line. It kind of goes up from, for better lack of words, like your, your butt crack, I think. Yep. <laughs> and it is this sort of purple line that travels up your backside. Um, that matches your dilation. And they said I had a perfect purple line on my backside. And I heard them whispering to the student midwife, have you heard about the purple line? Can you see it right here? And they never checked my dilation or anything like that. I had no cervical checks uh, during the birth process. Well, and you saw that, you you know, you sort of felt the head was right there. Yeah, exactly. So of course I'm fully dilated. Yeah. Yeah. So as he like a big audible pop and the, the bag of uh, waters 
uh, burst. And gosh, that was the only time to give us a little push. And I, I did give like a nice good push um, to get his, after his head was born, to get his shoulders out. And then he sort of, I had been kneeling on the side of the tub with my head, like lit arms draped over and I kind of sat back and they sort of swam him between my legs and his arms were outstretched and he was just like flying through the water. It was the most beautiful thing ever. And I was like, there you are. And that is you. And I'm so excited to meet you. So it was just this like wonderful, like, holy cow, I can't believe I did that. Like, I really felt like I had, I was a rock star. Like I was like, this was amazing. I can't believe I did it. And it reminded me of that episode about birthing, birthing like a rock star. And I was like, I did it. I birthed like a rock star. But at this, but at the same time, it was also totally unremarkable too. You know, like it wasn't anything special or big or, you know, like I just did it, you know, like that was how it was supposed to happen. And millions of women do it every day. (laughs) And it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Biggest surprise postpartum was that after he was born, I was like, oh my gosh, labor is not over. And I had never had to have third stage labor without an epidural. And so I was like, wow, I really feel like labor is, is not over. So at that point, I felt like I needed to get out of the tub and they moved me over to the bed and we were hanging out and he was still connected with the cord. And we waited for, gosh, at least 15 minutes or so to kind of let the, the cord stop pulsing. And I was like okay, I, I feel like something needs to happen because I still am not feeling like at ease because I was still having pretty strong contractions and was like, I think something needs to happen. And then they were like, okay, so it sounds like you're ready to birth your placenta. And I was like, yeah, I think that's definitely what needs to happen. So they were like, okay, just take your time, no rush. And I was like, I, I was kind of scared to push again. And they were like, don't worry, your placenta doesn't have any bones. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and sure bomb. enough, I yep. gave like one, <laughs> yep, I gave one push and like slid right out of me. No problem at all. It was really beautiful. And yeah, we called my mom and we're like, the baby's here. <laughs> we called all our family, the baby's here. And they're like, what? We didn't even know you were in labor <laughs> already. Oh my goodness. What time was the baby born, Marga? So he was born at 10 a.m. So 10 a.m. So it was about five hours of labor from when I like started timing contractions to when he was finally born. And it was all you. It was all me. It was wonderful. And it was literally my dream birth. And, you know, I say that not because I felt like outcome was really amazing, but it was my dream birth because it was this amazing time where I learned to listen to my intuition more strongly where I felt really seen and heard and my own personal journey versus what a medical model wanted to have happen was valued over like that that was my intuition was just as strong or as needed as any sort of medical model that existed. Mm. So it was really just incredible in terms of uh, my own process. And I, again, I, I just can't say enough good things about that birth. And did you tear and how big was he? So um, zero tearing, no tearing at all. She said she checked me afterwards and she was like, there's like a tiny little skid mark, but I wouldn't even like classify it as like a first three tear. Mm-hmm. So zero tearing. My longest pushing phase 
And he was the runt of my boys at nine pounds, six ounces. <laughs> Still good size. <laughs> Still very good size. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you yeah. know, we've, uh, uh, the question I'm going to ask, I'm like, should I even ask it? Because you've told us a bit of it as, as you shared, but can you put into words, how were you transformed by all these births? Yeah. So I feel like each birth like really held its own valuable lessons. And I think like I, I sort of said, you know, the, the transformation was from the beginning with a OB induced birth to the end with a freestanding birth center with midwives and feeling like I did it hundred percent on my own. Um, yeah, it was really just, I can't say enough good things about taking the time to listen to your body to connect and like I tell I told women this before but I don't know that I'd put it in practice for myself because it's always so much easier to tell people <laughs> than it is to do it for yourself but as much as you can listen to your own body tune in trust yourself and know that like your body and mind are wise and they know how to handle this and like you always say like you don't birth with your mind you birth with your body <laughs> and like as much as we can kind of get figure out what emotional stuff might be getting in the way or psychological stuff might be getting in the way we can get out of the way so that it can unfold the way that it needs to. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And, and that's something that carries on to parenting because like if we take the analogy even, or the, the phrase even better, as you were saying, I was thinking, right. And you don't parent with your brain alone either. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you parent with your body too. Yeah. And any any new mom can tell you that the physicality of being a parent to young kids is intense. No like kidding, it's, right? Yeah. It's physically demanding. <laughs> oh. Thank you both so much so for coming. Yay! <laughs> there he is. Yeah. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming and sharing your stories. Oh, absolute pleasure, Adriana. And, you know, I just, I cannot say enough good things about your podcast and how helpful it has been for me and how informative it was and so supportive. And I just appreciate the way that you really try to bring unbiased information to the public. It's such a, an amazing service that you offer. And I am so glad it was helpful, really. I, you know, that's why I do it. So glad to hear these yes. stories and how you're, you know, through it, you were referencing this episode and that episode. I'll put them on the show notes. Thank you so, so much. It's been delightful. My pleasure. That was perinatal mental health therapist, prenatal yoga instructor, and mom of three, Margot Strahal. You can find Margot on Instagram at Margot Yoga. And if, like Margot, you find this podcast to be an invaluable resource, the best way you can support us is by taking one of my perinatal classes, doula workshops, or trying out any of the amazing products made by our sponsors. That is what allows us to continue doing this work. You can connect with us at Birthful Podcast on Instagram. And in fact, if you're not driving, it would be so wonderful and lovely if you would take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your stories, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. 
You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plati. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen. Support what we do and come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.